Captain's Log, Stardate 74233.1. Operations and security aboard the station have been increasing day by day. I look forward to my dear friend and fellow Starfleet officer arriving today to observe some of the chances we are taking at Lone Star and on the Vigilant. This episode of These Are the Voyages is brought to you by A Dark and Stormy Night. All right, everyone. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain. I'm Captain Chase McKinney. And if this is your very first time tuning in, saying hey, checking us out, uh, you're most welcome here on the station or the ship or wherever you want to hang out, really. Uh, it's completely up to you. This podcast is by fans, for fans of Star Trek. And we just, we're just here to have fun, just to talk Trek, uh, whatever tickles our fancy on any given week for an episode. And um, I have a very dear friend of mine that some of our listeners have heard um, at least a handful of times by now, and that is Commander Lisa. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show. So good to have you again. Yeah, thank you, Chase. It's been a while, and I'm so happy to come back on and talk Star Trek with you. As you know, I'm a very big Star Trek fan. Enjoyed in uh, off, I guess, uh, on home base, I guess you could call it on Earth. You know, we we've worn Star Trek uniforms in your group, and that was super fun. Uh, and and you know, while we can't get together in person right now, we can all still enjoy Star Trek and fandom and friendship online. So, thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's always a pleasure to have you here um, on the show, just having a good time. I mean, we've. We've mainly talked um, or discussed, I think, like Deep Space Nine. Yeah, like almost for the exclusively. Most <laughs> yeah, and today is like, a, I guess, a deviation from that, uh, since we're we're not. Well, I'm sure we'll figure out how to weave in some Deep Space Nine, but uh, I think we're going to be talking some next gen today, yes. of all things. So, well, before we we get down and dirty with the the episode, the the this particular um, adventure of Next Gen. Um, what's been going on? You been reading anything cool or watching anything cool or just doing anything cool in general in these <clears throat> unprecedented times that we live in? Yes. Um, to answer your question, I have mostly been staying put. I've done a couple social distance dinners and uh, I've gone to the, been going to the park a lot. Ironically, before all this went down, I really wanted to up my physical activity. You know, I, I was having a really hard time. I was coming home from work, feeling run down. It was hard to work out. It was hard to go on a walk. Well, when, <laughs> when all this started, that changed for me. I probably am more active than I've ever been, so that's a plus. Uh, I've still been making those masks that I, I started making back in March. I'm I've got so much fabric that some of it's donated, some of it I got a little too eager and bought a lot of, and so I'm still working on all that stuff. Um, 
I've also been painting, sold a few acrylic paintings, which is really fun for me because I've always kind of been an artist and uh, predominantly just drawing and watercolor and have dipped my toe in the acrylic world and that has been really fun and people have been buying some of those paintings to put up in their homes and just, it's really nice. Um, the other thing I've been doing is watching a lot of TV. Uh, I, I have a, a Patreon for my show and people graciously donate to keep the show running and I ha I also use those funds to rent movies and to you know I used to use it to go out to the movies since I can't do that I've been watching a lot of Disney Plus a lot of HBO Max um, and stuff like that so most recently I just wrapped up the show Westworld which was excellent um, and moving on uh, probably gonna start watching Watchmen and I'm watching Doom Patrol and Stargirl as well. So lots of TV, um, and it's been hmm. pretty fun. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen I've seen your your paintings, um, the art that you've been creating, and it it looks fantastic. Well, I don't thank know you. like what the pr yeah I I don't know what the the one thing is is properly called. So please forgive me in advance. But like it's the the uh, King Arthur son, basically, and and I love the mess out of that. The one that you painted, um, I saw on one of your accounts. Hmm, King Arthur's son. Oh, oh, oh! So it it looks Fr like from Monty Python, the Mon Monty Python, you know, King Arthur <laughs> son. That one. You know what? That's the only it's thing actually, I know how to call it. <laughs> it's actually based on like Mexican pottery, but it does look a lot like that, like what you're saying. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> But it, it's actually like, like I said, forgive me. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. So um, a lot of my paintings are sort of inspired by stuff that I saw growing up. I think just because things have been kind of I, I was in sort of a sad place. I had, you know, at that point I was looking for a job. I was just kind of feeling down. So I started thinking about stuff that made me happy. And I thought about things from like my childhood and, um, you know, my grandparents and, and my and that side of the family. Um, well, actually, both sides of the family. But um one of the things that I always really liked were the really colorful Mexican pottery pieces or latirias and, you know, things like that. So this is, I'll show you a picture sometime, but um, it's like a ceramic sun and it's just got a lot of colors and a lot of patterns in it. And um, so I decided to paint a few of those and yeah, people seem to really like them. But connecting it to Monty Python, like now I kind of want to make one. <laughs> specifically Monty Python. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, there you go. And it, it fits right in with, with, you know, what you do with, you know, the rest of, of your, your non adulting time, like exactly. the podcast that you run and, and everything. So, I mean, it's just a great homage. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. honoring your craft. See, you're pushing me <laughs> to uh, do some fan art, which, you know, like I, I always get scared too. Cause I'm like, what if I don't live up to the source material? But you know, maybe this is my nudge. I need to just go for it. You know, here's the airlock. <laughs> I hope you have your suit on because you're getting kicked out. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to work on that zero G training, apparently. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 some really good stuff. Now, is it? Did you say that it's it's you're selling that on an Etsy store that you created, or is it exclusively through, like? like a Facebook marketplace kind of thing. No, it, it's been on Etsy. I have a little store called Leaser Crafts and um, I've got some paintings on there. I've got some masks that I made and 
It used to be a place where I sold a lot of my older costumes that either didn't fit anymore or I had just kind of moved past. I thought, rather than throw these away, why don't I see if somebody else out there wants them? And I've sold quite a few on there. But yeah, the, the paintings, I, I didn't originally want to sell them. I was just painting just to have fun. And then some family members started asking like, hey, would you know, can I have one? And I go, sure. And they're like, I want to pay for it. And I'm like, no, I'll just send it to you. And they're like, nope, I want to give you money. And I was like, okay. And so they were like, how much is it? And I said, I really don't know. It's whatever you want to pay. And so some people I have genuinely just given it to them for free. But I did get to a place where if you look at my Etsy, it doesn't look like I've sold a lot because it was to the point where I was just making them and people were seeing them and, say, and messaging me and going, can I have one? And, you know, eventually That's that extended cool. to, like, not just family, but friends. And a lot of the traffic is from people, like, on my Facebook or Instagram. Some people I know really well and some I don't. Um, but, yeah, I was just very surprised by that. Um, because, you know, again, I, I didn't really do it to make money. And it doesn't make, like, a lot of money. But... I'm glad that people, you know, some people just want something that's handmade, you know, <laughs> and so it's like they can just put it in their kitchen or their bathroom or whatever. I even saw one of my friends had a wall of all the stuff that he bought from all his friends um, that are artists, and he, hmm. he kind of dedicates a little wall to, you know, his little artist friends that make stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice. That's... I think people are stuck at home, and they're, I know I am, I'm stuck at home, and I'm looking around going... Should I buy, you know, that shelf I've always wanted to buy? Should I buy that vase? Should I put more stuff on my patio? I mean, I've definitely been doing a lot of home improvement, so I think maybe people just feel that way, where they, they kind of just want stuff to look at, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a, a friend of mine that um, reached out. I'm going to try and be cryptic so I don't blow the cover or anything. <laughs> no but, worries. Uh but like one of the things that I enjoy doing is is like either wood burning or uh, repurposing like toys into more like realistic props, basically. Um, so I uh, a friend of mine wanted me to make something for a mutual friend of ours, um, and it had to do with with Harry Potter. They're like, hey, I've, I've seen some pictures of some stuff that you've done. Can you do this for me? And I'm like, well, I, I make the thing that holds the thing, not the thing itself. Oh, um, okay. Like, well, can you try? Can you can you try? And I'm like, I mean, I can try. I don't know how it's gonna work. So, just kind of putting some things together. Like, well, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter now. I mean, like getting like like a, a sonic screwdriver and like kind of you know ripping that apart and then sticking in like like other bits to create this it's a wand if you guys oh, haven't cool. figured it out listening y'all are smart yeah so like making a wand <laughs> and like and just doing that and just it's it's not it's not something that you're gonna find at like the wizarding world right at in like orlando or, or in hollywood um, sure this is like a custom piece and i think you know to your point you know whether it's it's painting on like canvas or a piece of like watercolor paper or whatever it might be a plate um, or it's a wand people just liked having that having that personal touch i think it's it's more than just hey i'm going to put this on my wall it's like hey you were i was on your mind whenever you were making this um, rather than just getting like you know mass 
mass stock of something, you know, like a toy at Walmart or something. So. Very cool. Yay personal touches. Yay personal touches. So that's cool. Um, I mean, it sounds like that's been very good to you, like with being able to have that outlet um, with with everything going on and, and getting, you know, rewarded for it as well. So Yeah, um, definitely. I guess if if you guys are into that sort of thing or listening and you want to check it out, um, how can how can people get to your store and and um, and kind of how long does it take for you to make stuff really? So um, there have been a couple people that reached out to me directly and they said, I want to commission something. And I'm always like brutally honest. I'll say, I can't draw that if I can't draw it. (laughs) Or I'll tell them, you know, if I can. And generally it only takes a few days. Like I'll sketch a picture and say, is this what you're thinking? Um, And then they say yes or no. And then I draw it and paint it. And the good news is even if you choose not to purchase it or something, then I can just put it up in my store. And there's also a bunch of completed items in my store that you can uh, take a look at and buy if, you, if that's more your preference. Okay. Well, cool, cool, cool. So um, there has been uh, a little bit of some Star Trek uh, news and updates that have been kind of making the rounds. And um, I don't know if this is going to catch you off guard at all, so you're welcome in advance. Um <laughs> So I think low-hanging fruit for right now is um, STLV, the Star Trek convention, um, has moved from um, early August to now December wow. because of of the Rona. It's been in August. Uh, it's, to my recollection, it's been in August for ugh, the last 19 years, 19, 20 years um, in a row by creation. And it's... Uh, at, for a time period, it was at um, the Hil- the Las Vegas Hilton, which is where Star Trek: The Experience was. And uh, and um, after a while, or at least I'm pretty sure that's where it was. And after a while, it eventually moved uh, to the Rio. And now it's going to be um, over near um, uh, was it Harrah's? I think. Okay. Okay. Um, in Las Vegas, uh, or at least in that general area. There's a brand new convention center mm. um, in that part of the strip that's going to be hosted. Have you have you heard anything of that before? Have you been to an STLV? I have not. I've definitely heard of it. I have a friend that used to attend every single year, like never missed a year. The only reason why I've never been is because it conflicts with the dates of um, Dragon Con. It's not like it's the same week, but Dragon Con is such a huge convention and that's in Georgia and it takes so much money and so much of my time that you know to to do two trips would be tough for me um I've been to several of the creation events which I'm not sure if it's a creation um I think it is because I feel like I get a lot of their emails uh creation conventions um and I've always wanted to go uh I've always threatened Nick like one year we're gonna skip Dragon Con and (laughs) go to the Star Trek one um, and plus, I like going to Vegas, if I'm honest, so it would be fun to go for sure. Yeah, yeah. Vegas is a very fun fun town to to be in and to just to do stuff with. I mean, there's so much more to do besides uh, the Las Vegas Strip and yes. Fremont Street. Mm-hmm. So much more. I mean, people. some people probably don't even know this, but, you know, there are mountains in, in Vegas. Yes. And you can you you can go there and explore the mountains and see some really old trees. In fact, there's a 
Um, one of the oldest trees on the planet, to my to my knowledge, is the bristlecone pine. And if you drive about an hour away from from it, from the strip that is, and you go out to uh, the Mount Charleston Range mm-hmm. in like the canyons, you can see bristlecone pines everywhere. Wow. Well, it, you know, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've actually the past couple of times I've gone, I haven't done it. But there's a couple things I've been wanting to do in Vegas, and one of those things was um, a, they call it like a cowboy dinner, and what you do is you uh, go to this ranch and you ride horses, and then when you get back, they have like a campfire, and you eat like burgers or, you know, barbecue or whatever, and that, and you look at the stars while you're doing that, and I've always wanted to do something like that. Um, And then the other thing you can do is there's a saloon, like, I don't know if it's like the oldest saloon in America, but it's like this group takes you out there and you go to the saloon and they talk to you about the history of it and stuff. And then there's a bunch of telescopes set up and you can like look at the stars. And so our, our Trekkies might like that one even more, but yeah, that's just, it's so beautiful out there. It really is. Um, I've always said like, if I ever moved out of Texas, I'd probably go West but I don't think I'd make it all the way to California. I'd probably go to Nevada or New Mexico. Um, I just think the desert is so beautiful uh, and would love to see all that stuff. Yeah, my, my cousin um, who uh, sells, sells life insurance, he's been going all over the place uh, recently, uh, specifically Utah, which is you know Nevada's uh, next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like fallen in love with Utah. Wow. Um, and he's like, I want to live here now. And like, just in his way of saying that he wants to live there, he's just so geeked about the place. That's cool. And you know, you're, you're talking about like moving West. Like if I were to move West and my wife was on board with it too, I'd probably want to go to probably Flagstaff if I'm being honest. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. I love me some, I love me some Flagstaff. Like there's so many. I'm am a sucker for tr- for trees, especially pine trees, and they are pine trees galore in Flagstaff. Oh, Plus, cool. I mean, you're you're like 45 minutes to an hour away from the south rim of the Grand Canyon. So I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, well, that's cool. Apart from um, apart from um, STLV moving to December, which um, I think that's that news broke close to like maybe three weeks to a month ago wow. thereabouts. Yeah, I, um, I didn't know, but it makes sense. I mean, everything has moved. Mm-hmm. There's, um, there's still, um, uncertainty with discovery season three at this point. Oh, really? The rumor, ha- the rumor has it that production is done, except that the, um, really the soundtrack, the, mm. all the music for it hasn't been recorded because of, all of the Rona, all of the, like the orchestra needing to be together. So, um, and, and the, the question on people's mind is, minds is, you know, how the devil can you, you put an orchestra together when you can't be around each other. So that's that's slightly problematic, but I suppose you could just like, you know, record your part like in a room and then mix it all together. But man, that'd be a hot mess. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought of that because like a lot of, you know, like a lot of post-production on a lot of shows, they've claimed that they've been able to do it because of what you're saying, that it was already filmed. 
Um, but yeah, I guess an orchestra that's more live. I, yeah, it, it just feels like in this day and age they could do like a Zoom call or something. But I'm sure it's more complicated <laughs> right. than that. I don't know. But you know, with all this new, um, with all this new information coming out about masks, um, that you know, the the fact that it slows the spread so much. I mean, maybe we'll get to a place where they decide it's a minimal risk, but if we all wear masks, maybe, you know, they could still record it. I don't know. Yeah. Except if you're, except if you're uh, a brass player, right? True. You need your mouth. Maybe they could put them like <laughs> behind like plexiglass. I really don't know. <laughs> right. They're going to have so many, there's so many questions. Have, yeah. They're going to have to get really creative on what they do next um, and how they pull it off. But uh, I guess we'll just we'll see. Um, I know a lot of a lot of folks are hoping for season three to to get here sooner rather than later. And then Picard season two, it's 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 like a full stop right now because I mean, one they film in L.A. and L.A. is kind of like a uh, like a hotbed. Oh yeah. Like Hollywood is like a a hotbed for for COVID nineteen and everything right now. And with Sir Patrick Stewart being up in age. That would not be ideal for him to film in those conditions. For so sure, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll see what happens. Gosh, I didn't know. I didn't know so. that, Chase. Like, I'm glad you told me about this. I uh, was not aware, but it did totally makes sense. You know, just ha- there's a ripple effect. Everything is is uh, impacted by this. Yeah, the only sh- the only upcoming show that is not impacted, from what I'm hearing, what I'm understanding is. Star Trek Lower Decks, which is going to be the new animated series coming out on CBS All Access, so ah. that'll be that'll be good. Um, I mean, like you can, I mean, like you and I are like right now, like we're we're recording spoilers. We're recording in separate locations. You know, we're we're doing our own social distancing. Yes, <laughs> but <laughs> although you live kind of far away, but, so that's part of it too. <laughs> I mean, there's there's that slight little <laughs> detail. Yeah. But I mean, like you and I, like we have our, our own setup, right? Like we have our own microphones, our, our way of recording and doing our stuff. And I'm sure that with the magic of technology and the interwebs, that that's that could be um, something that that Hollywood and that creatives could could take advantage of if they so chose to do with with animated stuff, at least like in, in any kind of just voiceover work in general, whether it's an announcer for some kind of late night show or it's. Like I said, an animated show. So, anyways. Right, 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 right. I, I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah, I'm glad that it's still coming out. I look forward to seeing that. Likewise. So, you know, it was it was a little while back, and and uh, I think it's mainly been me dragging my feet or, or whatever. But we'll just call that water under the bridge at this point, <laughs> like the bridge of the starship. Maybe I guess I don't know. <laughs> the stars. Uh, <laughs> <I'm not> a- <laughs> uh, but I, I had put a, a call out to you um, a little while back saying, hey, when do you want to come back? And uh, you can pick whatever you want to talk about, basically. And um, you were kind of, you know, chewing on it a little bit. And you're like, I want to talk about this. So I'm going to put you on the spot. So you're welcome. Um, you, you said that you want to talk about a specific episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And this, the, the episode in question is from season two. It's the Royale. Mm-hmm. So, b- what before we before we like really, you know, talk about it and stuff in in earnest? 
what was what was it about this particular episode that like got your attention? You're like, yeah, I want to talk about that. So, I, I you know I loved the Next Generation as much as I'm a huge DS9 fan. That's probably my favorite Star Trek. I would call the Next Generation an extremely close second. I might even go as far to say it's the better show. DS9 is just my favorite. Uh, but I think the cast of TNG is incredible. I think there were great stories. I think it launched uh, a new wave of Trek, and I'm so grateful to it for that. Um, and, you know, in Star Trek The Next Generation, they basically introduced the idea of the holodeck. And the holodeck plays a big part in a lot of the episodes. Now, this doesn't have the holodeck in it, but it has a similar vibe of, you know, um, excuses so that they can kind of interact with people from a different time or just be in new situations. Um, and this was probably my favorite of those types of episodes. Uh, and there was just something really haunting and creepy about the episode while still being like a fun mystery at the same time for all the characters. Uh, I think mm -hmm. part of it is because one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie, is The Shining, which is a very dark choice, but um, it's like my favorite movie and that's in a creepy, scary hotel and this is about a hotel and I like old Vegas and just like everything about this episode. It's like they went, Lisa, can you like give us five things you want in this episode? And it kind of feels like this show did that. <laughs> Um, and I'll, I'll probably talk more about that as we talk about the episode, but that's that's the short answer, I guess. Okay, top two things. I need Vegas and The Shining. If you <laughs> yeah. can do that, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Can you work both those in somehow? It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're on an episode of, of what is it, um, House Hunters or something like that <laughs> on um, HGTV. It's like, what's your wish list? Tell me about your wish list. <laughs> there it is. There's at least All two. Stuff on a Not going to tell you the budget. other five. You got to surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, let me just uh, kind of talk about a couple things relating to this episode, maybe like a brief, uh, a very brief summary. Um, and then we can kind of go from there and see where this conversation takes us today. Great. So uh, just prior to the episode, The Royale, um, within the, the canon, within the timeline of the chronology of, of Star Trek history, a passing Klingon cruiser reports discovering pieces of an unknown space uh, vehicle in the upper atmosphere of the eighth planet in the Theta-116 system, and the Enterprise-D diverts from scheduled course to investigate. And in, um, as we hear in the episode... On Stardate 42625.4, the Enterprise D investigates a report of wreckage in orbit of the 8th planet in the previously unmapped Theta-116 system. An elaborate recre uh, recreation of a 20th century Earth environment is discovered on the otherwise uninhabitable planetary surface. Investigation determines the environment to have been created by an unknown alien intelligence in an effort to create a habitat for Colonel Stephen Ritchie, the commander of the space vehicle, um, I cannot pronounce this, um, Cribdis, there we go. The vehicle had been reported missing in 2037 after the third unsuccessful attempt to explore beyond Earth's solar system. So this, this ship in question, uh, some of the wreckage that is discovered 
was in 2037, mm -hmm. so not too far from our own present future. Um, and then this particular adventure is taking place in the year 2365. So we're we're talking, gosh, 300 and was that 30 some odd years, mm -hmm. almost 340 years after um, it went missing, basically. Wow. Yep. So, um, uh, anyways, for those of you that don't know, um, there's a fantastic book, at least I think it's a fantastic book, it's just called Star Trek Chronology, The History of the Future. Ooh, I highly recommend nice. it. Nice. Yeah, highly recommend it. It's kind of old, but um, Michael Akuta, um, the guy that des designed all the Elkar's stuff for the ship, at least in the, the 80s and 90s. Um, actually is credited as the author of this. Oh, wow. So so him and um, his wife, Denise Akuda, they both wrote this. Oh, so, cool. Anyway. Um, so did you did you get a chance to, like, look into any of, like, the development of of this story? Like, any of, like, the, the hiccups or or just, like, the behind-the-scenes type of stuff that, that went into it? I did not, but I am happy to hear about it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Okay, so um, this was this episode was originally going to be called the Blue Moon Hotel. Oh, um, okay. It was originally it was originally pitched as a first season episode, mm. and um, the the writer uh, Tracy Torme um, had said there had been a lot of talk about doing it in the first year, but finally in the second year they gave me the green light and told me to go ahead and do it. It became the Royale, and I wrote a draft, which was, again, a bit of a departure for Star Trek. It was kind of a sur surrealistic piece with a lot of comedy and a lot of subtle satire. And um, later on, Torme, um, after a lot of rewrites and things, said, I've completely disowned the piece. Um, I suppose, skeletally, it's my story, but when I started to reread the rewrite, I got 10 pages through it, and I got sort of a cold chill and had to put it down. Wow. That's illuminating. So what do you think about that? Wow, that's surprising. I mean, again, it's probably one of, if not my favorite episodes, but, you know, it's always hard to hear when that happens to a writer um, because I feel that happens a lot, especially in this industry. Um, the whole episode feels very Twilight Zone-ish. I mean, it could easily be a Twilight Zone episode. Um, and so maybe there was a lot more political and social commentary originally intended to be part of it like a Twilight Zone episode would have been and so maybe that's where that painful disconnect comes from um, because I think you know as a story it's nuanced it's interesting there's still that humor I mean when, when you were saying that the first line I think of is when <laughs> when Picard's reading the book um, and he goes it was a dark and stormy night Huh, not off to a good start. It's like every writer kind of cringes <laughs> hearing that, right? It's sort of a meta commentary on they're writing the Star Trek show, and then in the show he's reading that book. Uh, I thought, wow, that was really funny. That was a really good line. Um, so yeah, it's really sad to hear he doesn't love his work, but hey, it would not be the first time I read something or saw something and loved it, and the writer said something similar, that they hated it. So <laughs> it's just what happens. Well, and it's it's interesting too that um, oh, I just lost it. Um, as you're pointing out, like the whole dark and stormy night bit, um, that was 
that was something that uh, was put in there intentionally. Right. Um, so the novel Hotel Royale, so like the the in the the in show book, like there's there's not actually a book to my my knowledge called Hotel Royale. I looked. Um, apart from like a prop that you can buy on Etsy or, or Amazon or eBay or something. But um, that line um, appeared as the opening to the 1830 novel Paul Clifford by Victorian novelist Edward Bulwer Lytton and ah. has since become identified with bad writing and purple prose. <laughs> yeah, even not knowing what the source was of that line, I knew that it was bad writing. <laughs> it's just like, it's just, it's something like a kid would do in, in school, like, this is how I'll start it, I'll set the mood. It, it just feels very cliche. And there's tons of moments in the, in the episode where there's an extremely cliche moment. And, you know, to the point where I think Deanna Troy even says, did people really talk like that? And they're like, no, <laughs> nobody talked like that. You know, so you can definitely tell that they're poking fun at a few things. And, and that's, that, that was pretty funny, but it's nice to know the original book name. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That we're going back, you know, 150, almost 160 years prior to this episode, you know, dropping. So this, this episode came out in uh, 1989. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how about that, huh? Yeah, I probably saw it after that. Eighty nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely did. <laughs> in 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 eighty nine, um, yeah, I was uh, two. There you go. Yeah, you weren't watching the Next Generation just yet. Not not quite yet. No. Um. So uh, there were some Arsh, uh, um some Arthur C. Clarke and some Kubrick inspiration Ooh, um, in this. I could see that. So that there comes, there comes uh, my shining reference. Remember? <laughs> yeah. 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 We got, we got to check all the boxes before it's all said and done. We got, I, mean, I think we got deep space nine in already. Yeah. And we got the shining. So uh-huh. I think we're, we're off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can play a bingo game at home or a drinking game. <laughs> drink responsibly if you're going yes, to. Yes, please. Please. We know it's a pandemic, but drink responsibly. <laughs> and don't do it in the car. No drinking games in the car. That's yes, bad. Try, try That's it. very bad. Yeah, yeah I, I, you're right. I'm assuming that people aren't listening to this on their commute. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, um, just that was just some, some of the interesting stuff. Um, there was originally in one version of the script... Because, again, this is second season, so we do not have Beverly Crusher um, in season two. Ah. So this would have been Pulaski era. And at one point, Pulaski was going to say, I'm a doctor, not a magician. And it was going to uh, be an homage to to Bones. It was going to be an homage to Dr. McCoy from the original series. Right, right. So I I really don't know how I would have felt about that. I mean, I think the EMH doctor from Voyager gets away with it. Agreed. I, I, honestly, I don't I don't know if Pulaski could could pull that off or if I'd be, you know, okay with Pulaski doing that. No. I mean, that, that's just me. I don't know. You got to have the personality of Crusher to There's got to be like you've got to have that like sarcastic, jaded vibe and I think, you know, the Holodoc had that. Um but I don't think she did. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, this is like really random. But speaking of bones, um, have you have you heard of a thing called the Enneagram by chance? Mm-mm, no. 
Okay, the, so it's it's like every, I, I should, I'm not gonna say everyone, but there's quite a lot of people that are going bonkers over this enneagram thing, and it's it's like a personality type of thingy thing. Oh, okay, I think uh, I actually do know what you're talking about. I think somebody mentioned this recently, actually during a work training. But go ahead, go ahead. So as I was, um, I, I mean, in when I'm adulting, I'm I'm working with assessments and and working with clients in mental health and stuff and I had one client that brought up like oh yeah I've been I've been really getting into this this Enneagram thing and they're like oh do you know anything about it I'm like yeah I know a thing or two and um, anyway as I'm as they send me their results and I'm like looking at it and I'm seeing like both real life people and fictional characters and what their their number is I look down and at the bottom of the list it's Dr. Leonard McCoy is a as a two on the Enneagram. So I'm not gonna, you know, go into great detail with what a two is, but just go look it up. Go look up what a, a two on the Enneagram is, and that's what apparently doc, um, Dr. McCoy is. Oh so. cool. Yeah, I somebody mentioned it now that you've kind of explained it, it definitely jogged my memory and uh, it was something I was interested in taking. I like taking things like that. There have been some tests that I didn't love, some that I really gelled with, and but it's always, you know, good to like learn a little bit more about yourself and how you communicate with others so i've definitely would like to look into that yeah 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 so um there was there was a lot of stuff that that went into this and there was a there was a major time crunch that was going on when production was occurring and like like we were talking like i mentioned um torme earlier um this it really kind of set him off and Mm. Um, he ultimately left um, his active staff duty and took on a lesser role as more of a consultant as, a, as opposed to a writer. Gotcha. Um, in fact, in fact, writing the draft of this, writing the pitch for this in the first year in season one is what got him on staff um, as a writer. And the way that this was handled, um, he, he basically was like, screw you guys, I'm out of here is the way that I'm like understanding the history and understanding like the dynamics of what was going on. And he ended up only contributing to one more episode. And um, that was Manhunt, um, the episode Manhunt. And after that, further script disputes led to him just ultimately leaving and, and peacing out. Wow. So what, what was Manhunt about? Can you jog my memory? Yeah, I can attempt to. <laughs> it's okay. So, Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. So that was um, also in in season two, and um, uh, so this, it's a it's a Lawaxana, um episode. So Deanna's mom okay. comes on, and this is where we have like these two um, arguing alien races. I see. Um, and they they have to travel on the Enterprise, but like the Enterprise has to like make these two happy, and uh, and also keep them away from each other. So one of them is kind of like a fish people. If you if that's jogging your memory at all, it is. It is. I think I remember this episode a little bit, but I, I would have to see it again. I think to really remember all the details. Okay. And anyway, there's there's. Um, some Dixon Hill stuff mixed in mm. to it as well, where um, Miss Troy and 
um, in Picard. They go into um, a, holo- a holodeck program together uh, to get away, and um, there's it, it's it's a Troy episode, so you know there's going to be shenanigans with her on board <laughs> and and like you know tr- pining for for Picard and things like that, and ultimately. Um, people get to where they need to get and the conf- this conference happens uh, when it comes to like the, all this diplomatic stuff. I'm, I'm not doing this the, this episode any justice, but it's the one with the fish people. Okay, that, um, that sounds Next vaguely Gen. familiar. I would definitely have to see it again, but I was just going to see if it was like another episode like this where it just like really stood out drastically from the other episodes. It sounds like it did not, but I do vaguely remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, this is like one of the more. It, it this is more in line with, with like the, um, air quotes, uh, traditional, next gen episodes yeah, it compared to like it from th- this this one off that we're kind of doing with, with um like the shining in space. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Okay. So. So with all that behind the scenes stuff um you know with with production and drama and and kind of what went mate what went into it and just that trivia type of stuff um what what stood out to you what would you what'd you like about this this episode like what wherever you want to start with that really well i guess like i said earlier it reminded me a lot of a twilight zone type episode um there's a mystery, things are afoot, you know, and we have to figure it out. And there's always some, like, strange or dark twist uh, in, in the story. Um, and I think I liked that about it. I think maybe something the writer didn't like is the resolution of it felt a little bit maybe rushed. You know how they're like, oh, all we got to do is, you know, win all the money and then we buy the hotel and we're out of here. Like, I guess that doesn't make logical sense if the point of it is just to create a safe place for this guy to pass on by these aliens um Mm -hmm. i like it but you know in the context of the story or having it be over in an hour i think that's probably why it wraps up that way and also i guess the fact that um the original guy that was you know quote unquote playing the game he couldn't really figure out how to win all this stuff on his own it's really the, the help of data it's the help of the team they figure out how to gamble and win um whereas he could have never done that so the game was kind of set up for one person but not really set up for a bunch of a think tank that would figure out how to get out of it um so but i think that i liked the when you find out that the guy had died that they took all this information from just one book he read it's not even necessarily his favorite book it's not necessarily what he thought home should be but the aliens didn't have a lot to work with right and they were just trying to give him a environment that he could stay safe in so all the all the people that he interacts with um act like they do in the book and i just liked that a lot and um, it also reminds me, this is going to be a small, I'll try to keep this short, a tangent. Uh, the twist of finding, when you find him in the bed and he's like a skeleton and he's like, you know, disintegrated pretty much. Like he's very little of him left. That's such like a haunting visual. I think I really liked that when I was a kid. I was like, whoa, like this is getting dark. Um, but it reminds me a lot of an animated short film called Magnetic Rose. 
that if you like this episode, you'd probably like this. It's really cool. The the gist of the plot is that there's a bunch of people in space that are collecting trash and they get a they get a signal that someone's in distress. Well, when they go check it out, it um, looks like a fancy old uh, like mansion on the inside of this ship or whatever it is that's floating out there. And as they go through it, they're seeing all these holograms from a long time ago. And they're like, what's going on? And anyway, it, it ends with it was the home of a famous opera singer who was... Um, who had sealed herself away in this little bubble and like had died and now that little place is sort of haunted by this technology that keeps kind of replaying stuff over and over and over again and there's like a dark twist in there that has something to do with a murder and other stuff too but there's even a scene where they finally find the opera singer and she's in bed and she's disintegrating and just like in this episode so I was like it always those two always felt very similar to me um, so if you like it, you'd probably like that. Um, I guess that's my long answer. And then also I just, as I said before, I like Vegas. So I, I like, <laughs> I love the mobster stuff that happens in the episode, even though it's extra corny. Um, and I love the Texan, you know, we, we were from Texas. Um, and just all of it. Really? I just think it's a great episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually looking at... Um, I'm, I'm hoping I'm looking at the right thing, Lisa, with uh, the magnetic rose, like some some shots on. Oh, cool! On the internet. Yeah, I'm gonna look and, at you. And and there's like one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like the sixth or seventh photo in, it's like all white and it's like a cobweb covered table, is what it looks like. Yes, it's really cool and in that episode. It's like the technology in there can kind of like read your mind and show you stuff you want to see but then it sort of does this dark thing where sometimes it would show you things you wanted to forget oh that's that's creepy it was real creepy and like the opera singer i think her husband mysteriously died these are spoilers and she basically recreated him in this fantasy world and until she died and now whenever you come in she tries to like the technology tries to make you that husband or whatever again starts calling you Carlos and starts getting you involved in that little world it's real creepy it's a really good it's like a sci-fi it's probably like 10 minutes but it's it's really good you know as as you're talking about um, the magnetic rose and we're talking about the royale like just like blending them the the, the stuff together um, I can't help but think of the Twilight Zone, like Hollywood Hotel, and also the oh, Haunted yeah. Mansion, you know, and and even even with this this um, picture of like cobwebs or whatever the stuff is, yeah, it 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 reminds me of the ride. Like I, it does. If, if you've never, if if you're listening and you've never been on the Haunted Mansion, if you ever get a chance in your lifetime to go to any of the Disney's, you need to go ride it. It's a staple of the park, for crying out loud. But, like, there's at least, what, one, maybe two places in the ride that looks, like, I don't want to say identical, but it's pretty darn close yeah, to what, what I'm looking at. it inspired it at the very least. I think that there's something really exciting and, like, undiscovered about sci-fi horror to me. And so, you know, the idea of, like, the haunting not being spirits, but being, like, the technology, you know, learning from a human and, and sort of haunting people in a different way. I think that's kind of 
you know, Royale, the, the alien's intentions are not to haunt anybody, but that's what the effect ends up being. I think there's just something interesting about that to me that I really like. It's like, oh, there's all these ways we could take stuff from, like, the Twilight Zone or, um, you know, familiar ideas, but just kind of put them in a different way. And so I think that's why I like yeah. that episode so much. I love the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so good. And And just as an aside, again, so with Disney... I don't know if you heard this, but my fav- one of my favorite rides that I just enjoy the mess out of is Splash Mountain. And that aesthetic is going away and it's going to be replaced with Princess and the Frog. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Now, I don't have a huge yeah. connection to Splash Mountain, so I don't have a lot of emotions about it. But I will say, you know, Disney has rebranded a bunch of times. Like, there's... Um, there was like a submarine ride that I remember as a kid that they changed to be like Little Nemo inspired. And that was mm-hmm. weird for me as an adult because I didn't grow up with Little Nemo. You know what I mean? I, I grew up with mm-hmm. whatever its original, I think it was like 2000 Leagues Under the Sea or something that it was insp- that it used to reflect. And then when I rode the ride as an adult and it's like Little Nemo, I was like, hmm. But you know, I'm an adult now. So they're making these attractions, you know, cater to a younger audience um yeah they've got to update them so i think you know i've seen some mixed reactions on it but i think ultimately like disney's gonna do that a bunch of times (laughs) so the good news is too like even if they revamp something um they're gonna keep the ride essentially the same i mean the little nemo ride was almost identical except that it had little nemo in it and you know more i guess computer animated things but it was essentially yeah, yeah, the same vibe. So I, I imagine that Splash Mountain is going to change aesthetically, but it will still be, you know, ultimately you're going to splash into a bunch of water and it'll probably be pretty fun. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah. I, I mean, I hope so. Um, I'm not, I mean, no one hate tweet me or anything, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not too crazy about Princess and the Frog. It's not one of my, my more favorite uh, I don't movies. Think I've maybe seen maybe it. I just said. <laughs> Is that bad? I mean, maybe, maybe I just haven't given it given it a fair shake, but um, like for me, and if I can just be kind of like real and, and kind of vulnerable for a second, like Splash Mountain is like um, like the first time I wrote it was oh when was that? Uh, my honeymoon, actually, it was I think it was my honeymoon, Aww. if I'm not mistaken, and. But I'd always wanted to write it, but no one. Would, I was one. I was too short to write it. I think the first time I went to Disney, and my mom would, um, like sing Zippity Doodah to me, like almost every single day when I was um, a little boy. So, and that's where, and that that song comes from Song of the South, which is the movie that inspired Splash Mountain. And I, guys, I realize this. I realize this is a Star Trek podcast. Okay, so we're just gonna go there for a second. Um, so that 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 has like some special meaning to me, and I know that those memories will never be taken away from me. Um, it just it stinks to me, and this is a conversation for a completely different podcast and, and offline in general. But you know, we it, it's you can't get your hands on a legal copy of of Song of the South. For reasons, and in taking in taking it away and rebranding it and stuff, which is totally fine. I'm going to write it. And I'm going to love it. 
right? Because it's, it's Splash Mountain just with the Princess and the Frog overlay. Um, I just wish that the movie, the other movie, could have had like maybe more of a fair shake. History is history, and I'm just going to leave it that. I'm not here to argue or debate anything okay. right now with with that. I guess the only but, thing I would add to that, and I've read um, a uh, um, a biography about about Disney himself. And I will say that it, it's kind of like the thing with, um, I, well, it, more so than with Gone with the Wind, but when it came out, uh, when he was writing it and making it, um, he was getting a lot of advice not to make Song of the South. And they were like, oh, hey, really? there's a lot of stuff in here that is not okay, that is not going to translate well, that really people are going to find offensive. And he did it anyway. And it got a lot of backlash, even when it came out. Um, yeah. I, I can totally understand, especially as a kid, I had, like, a, a, a sing-along that had zippity-doo-dah on there. And as a child, I have zero um, idea of what could be offensive about it. Um, to me, it was just a Disney song, and I really enjoyed the song. Um when you kind of hear the background of, of the fact that people were pretty against it from the get-go, including his own staff, um, I think that kind of paints a different light on it. Like you said before, there's nothing that's going to change necessarily about your positive mem memory or recollection of it, but I can understand why it's not being distributed anymore. And once I learned that, I kind of looked back at some of the criticisms of it, like with the tar baby and a few other things and sure. I thought, yikes, you know, this is pretty bad. Like, there was and, definitely a way to address the South during that time and to include, you know, uh, black people in a way that's positive and it wasn't done the right way. Like, now I can see that as an adult. Um, and then, and, you know, and I, and I, to your other I, point about having good experience with the with the ride, too, like, that being part of your honeymoon, like, that's unfortunate because, you know, in a way it's like, you were just connecting to that time and place because of where you were and like it was a fun ride you weren't like you know looking much deeper than that or you know just like any ride that you get on that you have a good experience with you're not like gonna be hypercritical of like oh what is this ride really about or you know like honestly i didn't even know that splash mountain was a song of the south ride i had no idea probably because it had been so long since I've ridden it <laughs> that I wouldn't even sure. make that connection. Um, and I almost feel like, I mean, probably what they're doing is they're just removing some of that like problematic material and just replacing it, which I think is fine. It's still going to be the same ride. Um, but yeah, I guess that's how I feel about that. But, but I do understand what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, and I want to be abundantly clear. Like I'm not saying that, that there was nothing wrong with oh, the yeah, movie. Oh yeah, no, I, and I'm okay. not saying that you that you were saying that. I was just kind of giving, uh, you know, my my similar or my uh, sure my take on it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, I mean, this is that's kind of like to, to you, and it's to to the dear listeners out there, right? That exactly. Yes. I'm not that it's it's I'm speaking to both of you. <laughs> <laughs> right. That that I realize that there are some problematic aspects. There there are problematic things with it. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But um, and anyway, so we we got like way way <laughs> off of no of Star Trek somehow. Um, 
So there, there's, there's your Disney thing right there. I think that's probably somewhere on the checkbox, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, we the, okay. The way that we got onto it was that it reminded you of Magnetic Rose, and we talked about Haunted Mansion, which led to Splash Mountain. So there's our rabbit trail. Yeah. In case anyone was looking for a map. Plus, it, it just um, the Splash Mountain thing just happened. Also. That is that is very yeah, true. So that it's happened like current news. Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. I somebody think is private when that messaged happened. it to me and said, "What do you think?" And I stupidly was just like, "Oh, I haven't seen Princess and the Frog, but cool." <laughs> like I had no idea. So by the time you and I have this conversation, I'm like a little bit more caught up on like what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, um, I'm definitely going to have to ch- to check this out, and uh, we're going to have to. To continue the conversation, whether it's on a podcast or it's just in, you know, like a, a texting or something, or instant messaging or something, because this this looks interesting. I'm not much of a horror person, but just like these screenshots look kind of kind of interesting. And, yeah, um, it's you know sci-fi, psychological. I would say, you know, thriller. Yeah. More than it is now, scary. Now. You know, as, as we're talking about like this and, and this this particular episode, we have uh, Riker, we have Data, and Worf that are are the away team on this mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for anyone that's that's watched more than one episode of of Star Trek, um, especially '90s Star Trek, each episode typically has a main character uh, from the ensemble cast. When you when you look at this this particular episode, who do you see as the the main focus, the main character of this particular story? Hmm, that's tough. I think it's somewhere between Data and Riker. I feel like in the first half, it it feels like it concentrates a little more on Data, and then by the time that we're at the winning the Cole Casino thing, it feels like it shifts a little more to Riker. Hmm. Yeah, it, it it's it, you're you're right. Like there there's like that that kind of split focus mm-hmm. of of you know who the devil does this this episode belong to and and it seems like it's like a fifty one forty nine split fifty one in favor of Riker more than Data for me. I could see that. Yeah, because uh, it's I mean it's it is a neck and neck race for who the the focus is um and and i didn't see anything in in my my preparation for this episode of like anyone identified as like the main one because like you know like you have the episodes right like data's day that's obviously data um you know the drumhead that's picard um best of both worlds part one is Riker. so you you have like you have episodes like and that, that's just how they do it like they 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 leverage the, the ensemble cast and they rotate so each yep. person gets like really their their main episode and then they just keep on trucking um now with with um with data kind of with data being more of a uh a primary focus like we were just talking about with this particular episode there's this constant uh question of is data um, an android is he is he does he have emotions does does data does data feel mm-hmm. does he does he experience emotion and um, 
we, we always hear the line, like, I'm an android. I have no feelings or I have no emotions. Right. So watching this, I always watch, especially early, early next gen. I'm always watching Data to see what he does. And he cracks a smile whenever he's he's rolling them dice. What you did you did you pick up on that or oh, notice yeah. that at all? Oh yeah, and I think you could interpret that as an emotion, or is he mimicking the way that everyone else reacts when they're gambling? Like, is he playing a part? Baby needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> you know, he says that at one point, right? Which I think is an excuse they fall back on a lot. But yeah, I think it asks a bigger question, right? What is the difference between mimicking an emotion and having one? Um, because all a lot of our behavior is learned anyway. Um, so, you know, is he authentically experiencing these emotions or not? It reminds me a lot of in the original series, you can kind of play a similar game with Spock. Although it's a choice for him to not show his emotions. Um, he seems to show them all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, like, I was just thinking, like, man, like, you know, for someone that that doesn't have emotions, man, you sure you sure are, are demonstrating it pretty well. <laughs> I mean, again, it, it could have just been like like a comedy routine that he might have memorized or something, you know? But, like, even then, even if you were to memorize jokes, the execution always falls falls flat. True. Uh, so, of course, Data has has emotions until he doesn't. I mean, that that just seems to be like the pattern that we see with him. Oh yeah. Um, especially especially in the, these early seasons, like especially I think that's that's something that's ever present. The fir- season one and season two of Next Gen. Would you agree or, or disagree? No, no, I agree. And, and again, it, it reminds me a lot of Spock in that it, it's sort of a difficult thing for the writers to handle, I think, at times. Um, mm-hmm. And for us to stay connected to the character, they have to show some emotions. Um, and so they kind of break their own rule, as it were, with the, with the character. <laughs> or maybe some of it's intentional and you're seeing that, hey, maybe he is more complex than we think. Yeah. Yeah. There was... Um, there was one character in this uh, in this story that I had to like actually go look it up. Um, some people are like Chase might be like Chase, you're you're a moron. Why would you even say that? But um, the the lady that's sitting at the um, the blackjack table oh, yeah, that yeah. Tex that Tex is is hitting on and and getting real cozy with. Mm-hmm. Um, did she? look like Nana visitor to you? Hmm. I, I didn't notice that, but I guess so, like a younger version almost. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be the look of women in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> 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 it's like that curly hair, the makeup. I'm looking at a picture of her um, and I definitely see a Nana visitor vibe for sure in her face yeah I I saw that and like again this is 1989 so this is what four years before um, Deep Space Nine premieres that's right yeah so so in in like my own headcanon I'm like yeah that's that could totally be her it really could Uh, like the more pictures I'm looking at her uh, on IMDB it's 
that she looks similar. I, I think you can tell she's taller and like, yeah, her some of her facial features are a little bit different, but yeah, and like a lot of times she's a redhead too. Uh, yeah, they look similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like the just the whole the whole thing and like I I went on to IMDB, I double check stuff on like memory alpha and beta and Charlie and all that stuff to see if that was in fact her and it's not. It's She was on an episode of DS9 though, according to this. As as a Bajoran, yeah. I'm not making that up. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know what episode it is, but there's a picture of her uh, with blonde hair and she's got the the nose ridge and everything. Uh, let's see what episode it is. I'm clicking through here. Okay. Broken Link. Okay. But yeah, there's a picture of her. How about that? Interesting. How about that? So so maybe that's why your memory was doing that, you know? Like you had seen her on DS9. <laughs> I I guess so. Yeah, like I'm like maybe this is how Nana got her got her role or something. I I, don't, I mean, I'm not a DS9 aficionado. See, there we go. We've officially introduced Deep Space Nine. It's going to happen. Episode, so we're we're safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, maybe that uh, I maybe that was part of it. I don't know, but again, it's it's not her. So this is kind <laughs> of a a non-issue. A little tangent. <clears throat> yeah, more tangents. So I've been rambling about random oddball stuff. So just just tell me something that you want to tell me about this episode that you're just itching to to get out your mouth. Uh, you know, I think like it, like we were talking about earlier, I really like the plot of this particular episode. I like the wrap up. I did feel that the resolution's a little rushed, but it doesn't matter because I got that sweet scene of the guy that had passed away in the bed. Like I said, that was a cool, creepy visual. Um, I like the bellboy stands out to me, like the guy that ends up getting killed at the end um, in the in the novel. Um, uh, that you know that is in love with the boss's girlfriend, and they have that shootout. I thought he had like a great voice and a great look <laughs> for like a mobster role. I'm looking at him on like IMDb. I don't think he did a whole lot after that, but I think that side stuff, like the the details that they went through to make sure that all the other little side characters in in the background, the Texan, the girl at the craps table, everybody um, does such a good job with their small character work that it really, I think, elevates that episode for me, and it's, it's the reason why it's one of my favorites. Yeah. The, um... I, too, I too liked... Um, I really enjoyed this episode. In fact, I, I watched it uh, before we, we started recording um, earlier, earlier today, and... Um, I, I like I like I, I like it when when data um, is in like his gambling mode I mean like data and gambling <laughs> yeah. is just like why would I have it's, to count it's a cards f yeah <laughs> I like that part <laughs> and like some of my favorite episodes and, and I get I suppose the royale is is gonna be one of those too because again it's data and gambling yes um, but like the other one that comes to mind is times era where he takes advantage of of people uh, through like poker, which is the, like his main game that he plays, right? And just seeing him like wearing the the big 
I guess that was like a 10 gallon hat or something like that, like oh, Texas yes. hat. And, um, <laughs> and then being asked to give it back and, um, you know, saying these, these dice are, are not properly balanced. <laughs> Can you fix it? Well, yeah. And then he just like kind of crushes it and then rolls it. And like, he's always rolling the winning hand and just like leading the hotel out of money was just fantastic. Right. It's a fantasy. Um, we all wish we could, you know, the, the, the house always wins. Right. So it's like the, the idea of us winning this time. Yeah. Which it's, it's in a way it's, um, it's kind of funny. Um, because immediately after watching the Royale, I, w- I was watching deep space nine. There we go. And it, I was watching the, the episode that a lot of people, a lot of DS nine fans might despise. And that was move along home. Um, the one where Cisco, Jedzia, um, Bashir, and Kira are all trapped in a game. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. And the reason the reason they're trapped in a game is because Quark is trying to cheat these Gamma Quadrant delegates um, out of winning all the money. He's pressing a button on the bottom of the table. So again, it's this whole gambling. So like, I was watching back-to-back gambling episodes. Is really what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> learning new tips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was learning new new tips, new games, and um, I was basically I learned that, you know, if you're hosting anyone, you know, don't press the button. Otherwise, you might get your friends trapped in some kind of weird game. Yeah, like I definitely remember that episode now. Um, yeah. I think another thing for me that I like. Uh, well, two things. I love the visual of when they find that little piece of the NASA spaceship. That particular scene of them holding it, and it's got like the jagged edges. That felt very much like a Twilight Zone visual to me. Um, and then the other thing was, I can't remember what what's the name of the planet that they are on. And you mentioned it when you. Uh, oh, uh, was it like Theta One One Six? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Theta one one six. Okay, so when they're at the check-in, and they're like, "What planet is this?" and he's like, "Earth." What do you call it? <laughs> he's like, "Theta one one six and he's like, "Okay." <laughs> I just love that <laughs> response of, of the guy just being like, "All right, that's call it whatever you want." <laughs> like, there's there's a lot of funny little moments in this episode. Yeah, and and um, you know, our the listeners right now they cannot see me. Uh, right now and they can't certainly can't see you <laughs> but um, uh, right now I'm wearing a NASA hat yes I was like that um, must be why you're wearing that hat <laughs> well actually this hat is like super comfortable so I, oh. I've, I've just so I actually got this hat at Hobby Lobby of all places <laughs> and this hat is like stupid comfortable but you know it's I, I did also wear it because of this episode too um so in the episode, when they're, whenever they're picking up the debris, right, it's like the, that old NASA logo, uh, which is what NASA calls um, the worm, like the worm logo. Oh, okay. And the one that's on my hat is what they apparently call the meatball. I see. Okay. And huh. so they discontinued the worm logo in 92 which was three years after the episode aired and then the meatball 
came along. Oh, so this well, is not historically did... accurate anymore. It could not have been 2037. Hold on. <laughs> oh, hold oh, on. Oh, Back. But hold on. wait. Oh, it gets more. But wait, there is more. So it was in the um, in more recent times. I want to say between like maybe around 2016 ish, maybe. That okay. they discontinued the, the meatball and they went back to the worm. So it is com- entirely plausible that the worm NASA logo will still be a thing in 2037. Interesting. So thank you very okay. Much. Full circle. How about them apples, huh? Yeah, I'm learning a lot today about NASA, about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, in fact, the, the, the patch. Um, that was on there was actually um, an Apollo patch. Oh, okay. Cool. See, this is stuff so that for- I would not notice. Like, I, I love hearing stuff like that. Man, you should run a, you should start a podcast and talk about movies and random facts with movies and TV shows. Seriously, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't even know where, where what I was saying other than meatballs and worms, which is a weird thing to say in the same sentence. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, like when when they pull out the suit, you can see that um, in the in the guy's room, and um, um, one other fun little factoid um, that relates to the overall story and some actual historical stuff is. Um, What was it? I think it was the beginning. Was it in the beginning or maybe the middle of the episode when Picard? I think it was the beginning. Picard's talking to Riker about this, this math problem, this theorem, this something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it sounds familiar. Um, what was that? Uh, like theorem. That's what it was. Uh, Fermat, Fermat, Eric, Commander Eric. Please don't kill me for pronouncing your math stuff wrong. Please don't. (laughs) Um, so he said that it had gone, Picard had said that it had gone unproved, unanswered, whatever, for eight centuries. Okay. And so in 1995, so six years after this episode aired, or that it was written, right, the proof was discovered that it was, that it was answered, basically. What? Really? And <laughs> Yeah, for real. Wow. For real. It, it was, it was answer discovered whatever and it wasn't again until deep space nine um when dax is talking to tobin uh, about this very this very theorem so in show they've corrected it and in real life this thing has been discovered so again another full circle moment is kind of cool uh within the 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 star trek continuity wow okay that's pretty interesting so now, I know nothing about what this theorem is except for some X's, some Y's, some Z's, and a few N's mixed in for good measure. Maybe Eric can t- tell us about the math stuff and what this dang theorem <laughs> actually means. I am not that guy. No worries. You get guy. zero judgment from me. Oh, phew, that was close. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so, where would you... With with this being in season two, season two I think gets a little bit more respect than season one does mm-hmm. of Next Generation. Um, would you put this in the top, middle, or bottom third 
of of the episodes. Not necessarily when it aired, but like in terms of like enjoyment and favorability. Uh, where where would you kind of place this in the season? It's definitely in the top for me, but I, I say that as someone who's extremely biased. Of course. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this one, um, I, I, I've I've seen Next Gen multiple times. And I, I, yeah, see, I, I probably I could, don't have... I, I've seen every episode at least two or three times, but it's mm-hmm. been a while, so I, I might not have and, the right like mindset to, to accurately rank them. Oh, and that's, and that's fine. We're not going to, we're not going to rank. I mean, that's all subjective anyways. I mean, we'll probably do some kind of ranking episode here in the near future. Right. But, um, um, I would say that this would probably be like maybe a bottom top third, if that makes sense, maybe closer to the middle for me. Um, from what I can remember of season two, um, and and no disrespect, I just whenever whenever we were talking about the Royale, I'm like, man, what was that one about? Other than like the hotel, <laughs> mainly <And> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a hotel. That's that's all I remember. But like, I think um, Measure of a Man is is definitely like number one for me for season two. Okay, where Data's put on trial. That's oh, yeah. that is absolute. That is number one of season two, and then this one. It's. I mean. I mean. We're talking like twenty, what four ish episodes, twenty five episodes in in a typical next gen season. So, I mean, this is probably going to be around number five, six, or seven for me for enjoyability and and rewatch value. Um, when it comes to season two. Yeah, I I, I get that. Like I said, I'm pretty pretty biased. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. It's it's Kubrick and. Yeah, in Las Vegas in space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't get better than that for want? me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, was there was there anything about this episode that did not work for you? You're like, man, like, why'd you guys got to do that? Just, just you need to stop. Like, what was there any anything like that for you? Um, I guess in retrospect, the Texan is kind of gross. Like towards the lady that he's taking advantage of. Um, accurate to the time, a little weird now, especially since he's like grandpa age and she's very young. Um, but, but the bigger thing, I guess, like I said before, is the way that they get out of it feels kind of rushed to me. Um, the whole, you know, like, oh, all we got to do is win. And then the aliens let us go. And it's like, why, why would they do that? (laughs) Um, because the aliens are like, thinking aliens and not a machine that's a code they can just trick it kind of doesn't really make sense but given the time frame that we have to resolve it in I kind of understand it I guess the only other way they could have done it was maybe instead of them I guess maybe just having the conversation with the aliens somehow instead of having to win the house and then they get that explanation you know what I mean Mm-hmm. Like maybe one of the people now, in the game could have been like, okay, let me break this down for you kind of thing. I don't know. Do you think that whenever it, it came to the story, so like these these aliens are basically creating their own alien holodeck. Yeah, because they feel bad. For, they feel bad. So like they got feels for the dude. And 
so they, they create it. And in creating it, they're basing it off this really cheesy, you know, who done it, you know, bad novel mm-hmm. is what we're we're told like at least two, maybe three times <laughs> this in this is episode. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> this in case you didn't remember, this is bad. Um do you think that if anyone in the casino would have won twelve point three million dollars? that basically the program would have ended? See, that's what I'm wondering. Is it because the aliens created this for just like one person and one person alone would have trouble figuring it out? Because I feel like that's what the the episode is trying to say, that like because he's just one guy and he's stuck there um, and he's not an android, you know, the Next Generation crew has Data and Riker and Worf all working together and they figure it out and they get out of it. Um, I think that's what they're selling us on. I just don't know why that would be the case. <laughs> like, if you were to try to make this realistic, I don't understand why that would happen that way. Yeah. You know, this, even thinking about this right now, um, I know we've jumped around with, like, different, you know, movies and franchises um, in the span of our conversation, but this is, like, really reminding me of... of um, Oh God, Phil Seidel, please don't kill me for not getting this right. Um, but the the ghosts, basically, in Return of the King, both the book and the movie, okay, where they 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 are bound to an oath that they backed out on, and because they backed out on, because they weren't honest and 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 you know living up to what they they said they were going to do they've they haven't been able to find rest um until unless Uh-oh. like this unless the you still there Oh, I think it's back. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. It just for a few minutes it was kind of cutting it in and out. Okay. Are we good now? Yes. Yes. It's really choppy. Does this help? It does. <laughs> okay, we st- we good? Yep, you're good now. I just you you were okay. saying a lot of things and I, I unfortunately didn't catch them. That's okay. So I'm I'm reminded of of Lord of the Rings, especially specifically Return of the King. Whenever they um, the, the sword has been remade, at least in the movies, it's been remade in Return of the King, and they need an army. Um, to go do the thing over at Minas Tirith um, at the Battle of Pelennor Fields. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Um, and anyways, they get these, they, they find these ghost people that had sworn an oath of allegiance to the King of Gondor. And they they basically backed out on it. And the only person that they're going to be um, like really 
beholden to is the owner of the sword that was originally broken. Well, it's been reforged now, and Aragorn is going to be the king of of Gondor. And, you know, he's like, do this, and I will release you, basically. And, and I say all that, I, I take the time to say all that, to say that that is what was connecting for me um, as they were as we're seeing what happened, right? Because this has been like 300 and f- some odd years of of just constant program running, constant illusion occurring with all these people playing craps and, you know, blackjack, um, whatever it might be. And they're just stuck. Now, they, they, they're probably not real people. I mean, we know they're not real people because right. the tricorder um, is saying that there's no life signs. But the fact that there's like some kind of release following this, I can't help but notice that connection. So whether there was a Lord of the Rings inspiration with that or not, I don't know. But that's I, I'm I'm seeing that connection now. Hmm, that's interesting. So anyway, um, so. So the, the the creepy old man was was something that didn't work for you. <laughs> like uh, I said, that, that not a huge, <laughs> not a huge complaint because I get it. He's supposed to be like that seedy dude that would do that, but it's like now mm-hmm. you're like, Ugh, you know, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it 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 reads creepier today somehow than it did in the in the eighties and nineties. Let's put it that way. That's true. Like, I and feel like today said, somebody would be like, look, sir, you need to quit. You know, <laughs> whereas back then it would have been like, poor thing. Oh, well, there's nothing we can do to help her. <laughs> yeah. And and whenever he said he was from Lubbock, I'm like, you're like, oh, I great. No, man. <laughs> no, you got you got more of like a Dallas or maybe a Fort Worth vibe. Amen. Not, I don't, Very much. Not, so. not like from not, the not show Lubbock, Dallas. man. <laughs> Yes, yes. You are from, like, JR, like, right out of, like, the 80s. It's definitely a a version of of Texans that I cringe when I see on TV. You're like, oh, no, no, I'm not one of them, no. (laughs) And it's it's almost (laughs) fictional, you know. I mean, not to say that there's no bragging, swaggering Texans around, but it's, it's definitely a caricature. Um, of what of what uh, people that live here are like. Oh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah. And uh, so, for anyone listening, and since we're talking about Texas caricatures, Texan caricatures for a hot second, um, I don't know if I told you this story, Lisa, but when my wife and I were, I think we were either still dating or we were like recently engaged. Um, so we're talking about ten ish years ago, mm-hmm. thereabouts. And uh, we were we were driving to the, the Fort Worth stockyards, and we're we're going through like all these stop signs, um, trying to avoid like the crazy traffic that is the Fort Worth stockyards. And there's a gas station along the way, and it's got like this drive-through where you can, you know, buy drinks or you know, lotto tickets or food or whatever it might be. No joke, okay. As God is my witness. There was a a guy on a horse going through the drive-through, getting a burger and a drink. I, I'm pretty sure it was a burger and a drink, but he was go- <laughs> regardless of what it was, he's going through the drive-through on a horse. 
Gotta live up to that uh, Cowtown, uh, you know, <laughs> moniker, I guess. No Pretty joke. Funny. So, you know, there is some truth to um, some. us Texans, <laughs> you know, riding our horses everywhere we go. Yeah. But not not all. Um, and what's up with bolos? Like, why why are Texans like associated with wearing bolo ties for crying out loud? I, I don't know. wear one. Although I will say, uh, being um, like a, like I've mentioned before, like having you know Mexican heritage, like my grandpa on both sides always wore a big hat and they wore bolos and stuff like that. I mean, they dressed like ranch hands and yet they did not live on any ranches. <laughs> Although mm-hmm. I did have a grandfather that worked on the orchard a lot. But they that they that was like their regular outfit was like you know, Levi jeans, a button-up shirt and a big hat. <laughs> so not always the not always the bolo though. Right. Or right. Yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah, the um a male brooch. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a male brooch. Oh, good grief. Um so I don't the the cringe moments were for me was was just like some of the dialogue, right? Oh, like that occurred sure. in the, in the hotel. I mean, it was just so over the top. Like so <laughs> yeah. over the top. It like, felt like they were picking on almost like like the show Dallas uh or like soap operas like I know it was supposed to be like a whodunit but it was just so bad it just felt like yeah like they were directly making fun of those things mm-hmm mm-hmm and so with with that being like the thing I didn't like I'm like please don't do that um, what what came to mind with what I did like was I did like the teamwork I think that's the thing that shines the most in in all of Star Trek is For sure. let's work together. Let's let's you know uh, use each other's strengths um, for the greater good for for solving this problem. And between Riker's leadership, Data's whatever he brings in any given episode, and then Worf's just zest for life for just tackling anything. I mean, why not? I mean, it's it's. <laughs> Sorry, Worf gets a bad rap on this one, but like, <laughs> but but seriously, like, Star Trek does a great job, and I, I really and that really shone through in this one as because like they could have been trapped there for the rest of their life, right? right? Just like this other astronaut was, and they weren't they weren't prideful with, you know, I got to be the one that solves this. They they were willing to they they really showed. They truly show that they work together on this, and and I loved it, and how it and how it came through, regardless of, of the cheese, that we saw in the hotel itself. It, it was just it was it was well done. I and, agree. And, it, and even the music, that was in it, um, I gotta I gotta get my music thing in there. That's my checkbox. The music was very very reminiscent, almost to a fault, of, the original series. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so it was it was hitting on all the right buttons for me with um, with the good. So um, a very a very very enjoyable episode. And if if we're gonna um, do this like out of ten, um, I would probably rate this this particular episode probably about an eight, maybe an eight and a quarter. Mm, that's fair. So. 
kind of put you on the spot. How would you rate this? I'm guessing a 10. <laughs> I guess eight and a half to nine. How about that? Bring okay. it back down a little bit, trying to be a little bit more objective. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, have, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to, to bring up that maybe I just haven't? No, in all I, my ramblings. I, think you, uh, I think you nailed it. You know, I really enjoy this episode and I really enjoy this show. And uh, like I said before, it's 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 a show that I grew up with. I started watching it when I was, you know, nine or ten was when it was kind of in its heyday. I, I've said in other episodes that it, it was like Game of Thrones. I mean, everybody was watching it. Um, even if you weren't obsessed with Trek because it was such a fresh new look at Star Trek. Um, and it just ages so well. Like the show is easy to pick up and watch. I popped this episode back in and I was like, man, I've missed watching this. You know, I, I really mm -hmm. enjoy this show very much. And this is just, it's nostalgic for me. It's one of my favorite episodes. Right on, right on. Um, there's a guy and it, it, he's the, the assistant manager. And I, I, when I saw him I'm like, Ooh, I know that guy. And um, the, the, the assistant manager with the, um, oh, good grief. Anyways, he was in Lost, if that helps. You know, I didn't uh, keep up with Lost. Well, spoilers for anyone that's never seen Lost, he's in Lost. <laughs> and, um, oh my goodness. Sam Anderson, that's his name. So, Sam Anderson, um, he was... Oh, if, did you ever watch Growing Pains? I did. So he was uh, Principal DeWitt on Growing Pains. Oh, okay. And um, he also appeared in Star Trek Voyager. So shout out to all my Voyager fans listening. Um, he was, I mean, he's a very prolific uh, guest actor on shows. And I see, okay. Very prolific. And... Uh, in fact, he was also on T.J. Hooker with um, with Shatner mm, and, okay. and James Darren. Oh, uh, and James Darren too. Yeah. Hmm. So I know you. I know you like yourself some James Darren. I do. So I'll bring that up. So um, anyway, I know we've we've talked this um, probably talked this episode to death. If you guys listening haven't seen it. Go check it out. Um, I mean, it's on. I mean, Next Gen's like on pretty much every single streaming platform that I can think of, right? I mean, like it really is. It's like everywhere. <laughs> it's what Netflix, Hulu, Prime, All Access. I mean, is Next Gen on HBO Max? I don't have it, so I don't know. I don't think it's on HBO Max, but I watch it on Netflix. Okay. And of course, you can get it on DVD and Blu-ray or VHS if you really want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a garage sale out there somewhere with some some next gen VHSs. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, anyway, well, Lisa, um, as always, it's been a pleasure having a conversation with you. You're always welcome to come back and pick another another episode to to chat about, uh, yeah, whether it's for next sure. gen or discovery or whatever you want to watch well whatever thanks so much about. for having me it was really fun and yeah i would love to come back absolutely absolutely all right well thank you very much
Well, again, I'm so happy to have had the chance to have this conversation uh, with Lisa. 